their paths crossed like two hot wires. We are just about the friendliest folks you would ever want to meet. That's Bonnie. I'm sorry, I was looking for Maud. Everyone has the right to make an ass out of themselves. You can't let the world judge you too much. That woman, she took my car. This is Bonnie and Maud, the film podcast, with Xenia Yarosh and Eleanor Kagan. This is Bonnie and Maud. I'm Eleanor Kagan. And I'm Xenia Yamosh. As this is our last episode of 2014, looking ahead to 2015, uh, today we are talking about Wild, the recent film starring Weiss. Starring <laughs> Weiss. The Reese. That's too hard and. to say. <laughs> the, uh, the recent film starring Reese Witherspoon, based on the book by Cheryl Strayed. And then a little bit later, we will uh, briefly talk about some 2014 movies that we saw and enjoyed. Mm-hmm. A look back. And a look forward. No. Uh, so, Ksenia, you read Wild, the book, by Cheryl Strayed in preparation for this episode. Um, can we give just a brief summary of her story? I'm going to fess up and say that I listened to the audiobook <laughs> because I do consider that a different kind of reading. Um, and what's interesting is I zoomed through it. So I had to listen to 13 hours of audiobook within five days. So in a way, it felt very true to the story, which is all about an 1,100-mile hike that this woman, who at the time is 26, does to overcome um, the mourning of her mother and um, just a lot of tough things that had happened in her life over the previous years, Um, a divorce, heroin abuse, some affairs, and it's basically an undertaking unlike anything she had ever done before. She'd never done any sort of long-term hike, but she needed to do something to sort of go back to, she keeps referring to the woman that her mother raised. And so it's a very tough story. There's a lot about her body in it. It's sort of at the center of it, the the suffering that she endures during the course of the psych. The actual physical ailments from taking something on in in addition, or it's like the physical marathon in addition to the emotional marathon. Absolutely. So uh, a lot of the hike is spent, she is alone. Um, So she really has to confront, you know, the difficulties and living with herself and sort of overcoming and forgiving the things that she's endured emotionally through this physical endurance. This movie also reminded me a lot of Into the Wild, the John Krakauer story of a Christopher McCandless who ventures into the Alaskan wild by himself for, you know, various personal reasons and dies. And, be, you know, and it's it's still coming out now what actually killed him. But there's a lot to be said about the motivations of um, a young man walking into the wild, into the woods to, you know, take on some kind of emotional cleansing journey and a woman doing it and that is what interests me most about this story and about this film the fact that she's a woman plays a large part of this um for one thing we just don't see women going on these kinds of journeys we don't see many of those stories out there um and secondly her being a woman is something that she has to confront 
on multiple occasions during the trip. The movie portrays some of that, but the book has even more incidents where very quickly, whenever she encounters men in a lot of different situations, sometimes in the woods, sometimes you know, she's in town, she has to judge very quickly whether they're safe. And she doesn't have any protection. She just has her pack. She has herself. And she has to rely on the kindness of strangers. She has to rely on that intuition that all women have, all people have, which is, is this a safe situation I'm reading this person, and what is my gut telling me about this person? I think we see that the most with her first encounter with a strange man. Very early on in her journey, she discovers she's bought the wrong kind of uh, gas or oil for her stove, and so she can't cook any of the dehydrated meals. So she winds up going down the road in the middle of the desert, which is where she starts her journey, and she encounters this guy who is like, yeah, I can take you, just wait in my car. She discovers a gun in the car, and, you know, maybe he's creepy, maybe he isn't. He says, like, there's two things I really like at the end of a long day, and he breaks out a flask, and she's just terrified, and he's like, there's one more thing that I like. And, you know, we're all thinking, oh, what's going to happen? And he's like, licorice. My wife hates it when I eat candy. And then suddenly the tension is broken Mm -hmm. and he takes her home and he and his wife give her a hot meal. But like that was the most tense of, uh, oh no, I I actually disagree with myself. There was a tenser meeting with a man later on, but these encounters happen maybe four or five times throughout the movie where suddenly she has to rely on her gut whether this is a safe man or an unsafe man or what kind of situation she's in i mean and that was so that was so real i mean we encounter that every day we encounter this even in new york city we encounter those sorts of situations every day is this person is this stranger that's interacting with me are they safe yeah i I think we as women who live in the city always have to be a little extra wary when we walk down the street late at night The fear of rape is just sort of inescapable when you're a lone woman and the only person is a man and he is stronger and bigger than you. Uh, It was very alarming in the book where she she's in the woods and two men come up and they're bow hunters and they're possibly even a little bit drunk um, and they make comments about her body and how good she looks and how she's a little lady out here and I wouldn't let my girlfriend do this and her response is to sort of nod and even like play along to um, just not alarm them. Mm-hmm. Um, There's very much the desire to not offend because she doesn't want to provoke them. I guess str- straying from from this angle a little bit. What I really love about this story, again, is how central her body is to it and how it's not sexualized and it's not, you know, about her being a mother, which tend to be like the two big stories about about women's bodies. And it's very much from her angle. So uh, especially in the novel, she very closely describes all the bruises and cuts and missing toenails. And it's disgusting, uh, but also very beautiful in its truth because for the first time we really get to see the rawness of what a woman's body can do and how far 
you can push your body to the point even beyond you think you can. And this was also interesting to me that throughout the story, Cheryl is met with so much surprise that she is a young woman undertaking the Pacific Crest Trail on her own. She gets props for it from a lot of people that she encounters. You know, the first sort of main stop she makes, um, like kind of a hiker's uh, camp, essentially, where they get packages and can kind of hang out and refuel. Um, She's met with applause. Everyone's really impressed by her. She sort of doesn't know what she's doing. And she has the sort of elder hiker men be like, this is how you should pare down your pack. But everyone kind of instantly respects her for going into this journey on her own. And I think people are more shocked when a woman undertakes a extreme physical challenge, like we saw in American Ninja Warrior in our reality TV episode, um, but also that she's doing it alone. And she really only has herself to rely on. Well, like, I've seen the cover of the book so many times. Like, it's been out there for many years. Oprah. Can you describe it? Um, it's a boot with red laces. I've seen it so many times. And Oprah actually ended up relaunching her book club sort of as a result of this book um, in 2012 because she loved it so much and needed to share it. So I've seen it and I was never interested in reading it because I had assumed it was about hiking, and it is, but I had assumed it was from the perspective of someone who like enjoyed hiking and someone who was athletic. And so it really brought me in when I started reading the book and very quickly she reveals that she's not one of those people, but she needed to do this. And she figured out a lot about being a hiker during the course of her journey Um, And that really endeared me to her because (laughs) I could relate more than someone who, you know, does this on a regular basis. I totally respect that quality and use that quality in my own life, which is, uh, this seems like a good idea. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to figure it out as I go along and just kind of do it. And that was so much of what this movie is and so much of what her story is, was just figuring it out. And like, she kind of doesn't really recognize who she is and what she has inside of her when she starts. She, you know, is coming off of heroin addiction and an aborted pregnancy and a divorce and a death and, you know, a general aimlessness. But she doesn't really question whether or not she's like allowed to take this hike or whether or not she can do it. I know like when she starts the hike, she's like, what the fuck have I done? Why am I doing this? I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. But she keeps going because I think deep down she knows that she will just figure it out because she's smart and resourceful. This movie probably has the most (laughs) times Reese Witherspoon says fuck in any movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I read a couple of really great pieces about this movie. Um, One was in uh, New York Magazine, the interview with Cheryl Strayed. And, you know, it kind of goes through her life and kind of what she's up to now. She has kids. She's a writer. She's happy. But it made some really interesting ties, one of which was to Gravity, which is another story about a woman being alone. The idea that a story of a woman being alone is so much more rare because when we see these stories, it's usually that a woman needs a reason to be alone, whereas stories 
of a similar nature with male protagonists. They are cowboys or they're adventurous and they just want to go and do it. But for for female-led stories of this nature, there always needs to be a reason, usually traumatic. And usually if this woman is alone, it concludes with her finding a husband or, you know, having a child or marrying. It's almost like there's no happy ending for her unless her aloneness is <laughs> resolved, quote unquote, in some way, and she becomes a mother or wife or whatever. And here, there's so much joy because um, the film ends and she's still alone and she's very broke and um, her body is broken, um, but she's grateful and happy, you know, and some years after that, you know, it's referenced that she will have a husband and children, but that's not what makes her complete. What makes her complete at that point is that she finished this tremendous walk and um, she figured a lot of things out about herself and made peace with her life and her decisions. That leads me to the second piece that I wanted to tell all of you to go read because I really liked it. And it was in The Dissolve um, by Tasha Robinson. The best new strong female characters are the weak ones. And in it, she you know refers to this idea of strong female characters as like the tough as nails chick with a weapon who ultimately, you know, falters and has to be saved by a man or, you know, is there only to further the male character's journey, such as Trinity or such as Wild Style, as we talked about from the Lego movie. And perhaps what makes a female character strong is not physical strength, but the fact that she is complicated and she has flaws and she has weakness and the ways in which she deals with those weaknesses. Um, and that brings me to another interview, actually. Um, there was an interview in August, um, New York Magazine, that they did with Reese Witherspoon, where she talked about her production company. I guess she started it with her partner, and they weren't quite sure what they wanted to do initially. She says, we wanted to bring forward more female characters in film and have more interesting dynamic parts for women. There's a clarity to our work, which is great. It's nice to feel back on track. And the other big film that she did this year was Gone Girl. She wasn't in it, but she produced it. And similar to Wild, what was important for her is that it has sort of unlikable characters, or at least female characters who make decisions that are more complex. Absolutely. And, you know, we won't get too deep into this, um, but my major problem with Gone Girl the movie as opposed to Gone Girl the book um, which I also audiobook marathoned. <laughs> Amy, the the female character in Gone Girl, Amy and Nick, Nick is her husband. In the book, both of them are horrible people because you are inside both of their heads and you hear their train of thought. And Nick is just as bad as Amy in the book. He will say something and be like, I just lied. Whereas in the movie, we really only are fed Amy's horribleness and all of the lying and manipulating that she does much more so than Nick's and all of Nick's transgressions seems to be more surface like you know infidelity is weighed against spoiler alert faking your own disappearance and death I was kind of upset that Amy is really painted as the villain whereas in the book 
they're both terrible and the story is about the power of what it means to stay together as a couple and the power of marriage uh, when you both have the same terrible goals. <laughs> so, I mean, but we, we don't have to get too mm-hmm. in the weeds on Gone Girl. Um, in that same interview, Reese Witherspoon uh, references Lena Dunham, which I was very surprised. <laughs> like, I just don't think of Reese Witherspoon sitting down and watching girls. Um, but she sort of reveals how um, transformative um, girls and also obvious child have been in showing women in a more varied light. Yeah, and, and Tasha Robinson in this Dissolve article goes on to point out that while the character of Cheryl, in addition to, you know, characters in The Babadook and A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which are two movies that I'll talk about a little bit later in the episode when we look back on 2014, um, they're all vul- vulnerable, they're all in pain, but they're not victims. They're never point. They're never painted as victims. And in fact, they can be, um, and I'm quoting, they're strongly written even when they aren't acting from a place of power. Mm-hmm. Which reminded me of the quote that um, Cheryl reads uh, when she's reading. She brings along a book of Adrian Rich poetry, and she repeats the line, denying her wounds came from the same source as her power. And she repeats this over and over again as she's thinking back on her mother. That's just a great place to create female characters from. I'm curious, um, as someone who hasn't read the book, I'm curious if you found like parts of the movie tedious or if there were like times when you weren't sure what her what she was thinking like I I have the background of so many um monologues that she has in her mind that you know the movie just can't present you know it all pretty much hung together for me I mean I have to say Jean-Marc Vallée the director of this movie he also did the Dallas Buyers Club last year is not my favorite filmmaker um I think he lingers in long stretches of repetitiveness and um, does something that I think is actually not great in filmmaking, which is when he counts time. And I know in something like Wild or even Dallas Buyers Club, where he shows he loves the title cards with the dates. And I think that actually kind of makes a film plot along a little bit because it reminds you where you are in the story and it reminds you how much more you have left to go. That, that was pretty important here. <laughs> like you had to, I think at times you had to feel like you were plodding along and like, oh my God, we still have so much more to go because that's what she feels. That's a good point. I really love Reese Witherspoon. I, I wish there were more opportunities for her do, to do interesting things. Um, I really love um, her in Walk the Line. Yeah, I love Reese Witherspoon too. I think she isn't always given credit for being as sharp as she is and, and how smart she is. I mean, she we know she's the master of the dumb blonde joke because she can play a character like Elle Woods in Legally Blonde. And even though, you know, the point is that she's ditzy, she has so much heart and earnestness and is such a good person and a smart person that it elevates that character. Yeah, I, I think her charm gets her through and like how she has that kind of rubbery face. So even though it's not always expressed what she's thinking, you can kind of see by the raise of the eyebrow and her like sideways grin that she's unsure or insulted or like whatever is going on at the moment. Um, Why do you think 
that these types of stories of a woman going off on a journey by herself, a journey of discovery. I'm also thinking of Elizabeth Gilbert's Eat, Pray, Love. Why do you think these stories get such a bad rap? Um, and the funny thing is, I Elizabeth Gilbert's book is another one that, you know, I kept seeing people read it on the subway and I would scoff and like think, I would never read that. I read highbrow literature. Oh, Ksenia. <laughs> but I, I love Elizabeth Gilbert. I, I ended up um, reading her book about marriage, which is called Committed, and afterwards backtracked and read Eat, Pray, Love. You know, and there are certainly issues with it, um, because this is a middle-class woman who... Uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> the India part has its faults. Um, but I really enjoyed that book. And it's it's certainly one of those things like rom-coms that has a bad reputation because it's chiclet. But it, it's a lot about women reveling in being selfish and thinking through their faults and figuring it out like it's also really unfair in general to just because a story is a woman's journey and a female protagonist automatically makes something chiclet which is such a reductive phrase and like a man is allowed to revel in himself and his aloneness but when a woman does it it's like well, doesn't she have better things to do? Doesn't she have a husband and doesn't she have children and doesn't she have people to take care of? Well, I think that's what really at the heart of this. And that's what I think that's what makes this movie so compelling or the story, Cheryl Strayed's story so compelling is that she did have those things and it went to shit and she walked away from it. And we are in this story, we are allowed to see her reveling in the woods. I mean, she's miserable in the woods, but she's still reveling in her aloneness, as you say, and gets respect for it, you know? There's so many times in the movie where she runs into another person and they say, oh my God, you're so tough. But in a way, it doesn't matter because it's not the appreciation of other people that she's after. It's really respecting herself she's trying to find a way to think that she is great because she does not believe that when she first walks into the woods Mm -hmm. so beyond forgiving herself um she makes it very clear that if she had another chance like she still would have had those affairs she still would have tried heroin like those are the decisions that she made and she needed to make them at that time Um, to pretend that they didn't contribute to who she was um, and, like, to the general fabric of her life is just a mistake to deny those missteps. It's a way of owning your own actions, but also owning your own past and owning the things that make you who you are. And her mother does that, too. Her mother, who played by Laura Dern, um, was so wonderful I love Laura Dern. Cheryl, as a, as a college student, asks her mother, we have nothing. You married this alcoholic, abusive asshole, and you finally, uh, we finally left him. Like, don't you regret doing that? Um, why are you, like, how are you able to find joy in our life right now? To which her mother says, well, I got you. 
And so I would do it all over again because look at this wonderful relationship that came out of it. The big tragedy of her mother's death, um, her mother dies around 40, at the age of 45 um, when Cheryl is, I think, in her early 20s, like 22 or something. Um, and the issue is that Cheryl just gets stunted by this. Like, I feel like a lot of us, especially daughters with mothers, go through this period in our mid-20s when we finally work shit out and like get past our own selfishness and like forgive our mothers you know for any issues or like missteps that they made with us she just doesn't have the opportunity to work that stuff out with her mother she has to like basically forgive her instantly because she's dead and they don't have like the natural evolution of making peace and, um, you know, being on the same level. Grief is this very powerful tool. Her grief is sort of the thing propelling her the whole time. It's not this sense of adventure or, you know, boredom or like a rebelliousness against society. It's, it's grief that is really driving her through everything she does. And, you know, she tells herself she can quit anytime. Her friend Amy, Gabby, the Gabby Hoffman character, tells her she can quit anytime. But she can't because her grief is just pushing her forward this whole story. Um, Have you ever hiked or spent significant amount of time by yourself? Um, <laughs> I hate hiking so much. <laughs> I, I just... Uh, that, that's why this book was like really painful to me sometimes because I'm like listening to hours of it at a time and it like made me feel hungry and cold <laughs> um, and it made my my feet hurt <laughs> just listening to it. You're a very empathetic reader, Ksenia. <laughs> I just, I love walking and, and there's a funny exchange in the book where like before she goes on this hike, she's talking to her soon-to-be ex-husband and he's like, well, have you ever done a trip like this before? Like, have you ever done long-term hiking? And she's camped. And she's like, well, I walk all the time. I love walking. But she has never done anything remotely like this. Uh, and she, you know, it says, oh, yeah, definitely to him, knowing that she hasn't. Um, I just, uh I, I can walk on flat ground for a long time, but the idea of hiking up a hill is like you couldn't pay me. <laughs> what about the aloneness? <laughs> I love being alone. <laughs> um, I could seriously, like I could spend, and I have spent, you know, whole days around the city walking and like watching a movie by myself and going to dinner by myself and just like, spending many, many hours in my own head. Um, and I, I find that really enjoyable. But There's something, there's a skill that you develop, I think, when you live in New York City or any city, really, any densely populated place, which is the ability to be alone in public. Mm -hmm. And you get this on the subway a lot, which is why... <laughs> Which is why when you run into somebody that you know on the subway, even if you're happy to see them, you're like, don't talk to me right now. This is my alone time, you know? 
<laughs> um, so I know what you mean, but like, I think I'm, I think I'm with you that I've never spent time like seriously alone sans humans in the way that Cheryl strayed in the way that Sandra Bullock's character in gravity, mm-hmm. just like, you know, whether by choice or by not as, uh, those two stories show, um, totally, utterly alone. I'm so curious if this movie will encourage um, women, especially young women, to try hiking long distance and, like, if there will be an uptick in women hiking the PCT. I think there there was after the book came out yeah. in the same way that there were women who took on their own eat, pray, love journeys mm-hmm. in the wake of uh, Elizabeth Gilbert's book. It's It's wonderful that these have become mainstream stories because it – it just reminds women to take time for themselves and like in a way gives them permission to like <laughs> go eat and pray and hike. Um, so this movie did remind me a lot of uh, some other films that I loved this year, um, namely uh, The Babadook, which is a very scary movie um, by first time Australian director Jennifer Kent. And it is the story of another woman who is grieving and the sort of horrors that she has to deal with um, when this monster comes in and starts meddling uh, in her house with her and her little boy. And I am someone who is afraid of horror movies, um, but I really felt like I had to watch this movie. And I watched it with my mother. The movie is a lot about motherhood and acknowledges a lot of the ugly parts of motherhood, the ugly thoughts that you could have towards your child, towards yourself, towards your home that you're not supposed to talk about, you know, like kind of hating her kid at times and wanting to kill her kid at times and how much of it is her feeling this and how much of it is the Babadook, the monster that has come into their home. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's also just a beautiful beautifully shot expertly sound design exceptionally acted movie so i highly recommend the babadook if um also if this type of quote-unquote strong female character like really complex really vulnerable character sounds interesting to you this film actually reminded me of the standout film for me this year uh, which was ida because there's a journey that a woman goes in that film as well there it's a journey with um her aunt um so it's a a duo and that's the movie of a young girl in a convent who's about to take her vows to become a nun when she discovers that she her parents were actually jewish yeah like the details of the plot don't particularly matter It, it is a beautiful black and white film um there are certain moments that are framed so gorgeously where you just see like the tops of people's heads and it's so like unusual a lot of shots of hair and close-ups of faces it's a lot about this adolescent girl again figuring out who she is and figuring out the next step of her life while looking back at the history of her family speaking of adolescent girls kind of coming into their own Two movies that I really enjoyed for utterly different reasons um, this year. One is A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, the Iranian movie by Anna Lily Amirpour that is about a young girl who is a vampire in an Iranian town. And 
operates on moral grounds when it comes to who she takes uh, as her victims and who she spares and who she warns. Um, And they're all men. Um, She kind of sees herself as the savior of broken women in this town, women who are forced to um, kind of sell their bodies, women who are using drugs, uh, women who are abused by their partners and she kind of exacts vengeance when vengeance needs to be exacted but also is figuring out her own pain and her own sadness and her own purpose as kind of an inhuman character as a monster um and it is also a love story um but the other one besides that is we are the best which is the swedish film about three young girls who start a punk rock band and i don't know if you've seen it I have not. I, I've had it in my queue for some time, and I, I'll i try to see it very soon. I will just say, ha to sport, ha to sport. <laughs> that movie made me want to start a band so badly, and uh, the girls' style is incredible. They are so, they're at that point where self-doubt hasn't totally taken over every part of them. So when they decide they want to start a band, they just do it and they don't know how to play instruments but they just do it and as a you know woman in her late 20s I found that really inspiring Mm -hmm. to um other movies that were actually alongside we are the best at BAM's um uh, what is it like teen girl punk movies (laughs) yeah the Brooklyn Academy of Music had a great punk rock girls uh film series Um, those were outstanding. And two other ones that were part of that are ones that I really enjoyed. Uh, one was Starstruck, uh, which we gave, uh, a shout out, uh, to on Twitter and actually got someone to buy the DVD. (laughs) Um, thank you for trusting us listeners. Um, it's just like a beautiful kind of super colorful, Australian movie by the same woman who ended up doing The Little Women with Winona Ryder much later. Right. Starstruck is from like the mid 80s, I think it was made. Yeah, sometime around then. Um, so it's like this bubblegum, like punk rock musical adventure um, that has some awesome dance scenes and music. Um, and then also there was Times Square, which is kind of one of those hard-to-find movies, and it's about two girls who become friends um, while at a mental, um, like in the mental ward of a hospital. One is rich, one is broke. They find common ground in a rebellion. So they like run around Times Square, uh, put on garbage bags, and like make music, even though they've never done this before. Um, And just like... I don't know, find adventure and like comfort in each other's friendship. That sounds so great. (laughs) Um, Two more films that I want to give a shout out to from this year. Um, Both have kind of very unique sci-fi aspects to them. Um, One is The One I Love, which is this, I hesitate to call it a romantic comedy, but it's this romantic film with Elizabeth Moss and Mark Duplass where they... Uh, are having marital problems so they go to this house sort of out in the country to try at the behest of their therapist to try to work some things out I will tell you no more about the movie um, only that it's very odd and I really liked its deconstruction 
in the way that Gone Girl did not give me a good enough um, look into marriage as a as an institution, as something that takes work, the one I love I felt like picked up in a way that was much more satisfying and much more, and I mean, and dark, but in very different ways. The other one is this movie called The Congress, starring Robin Wright, and it's by the same guy that did Waltz with Bashir, so it's this blend of uh, live action and animation, and it brought up a lot of issues of when you're a woman on display, like an actress, Robin Wright plays an actress called Robin Wright, um, how, what your image is worth, what your beauty is worth, what your body is worth, what you project into the world through film, through music, etc., what that is worth. And um, it's a highly ambitious and very weird movie. So she is kind of a struggling actress. She's kind of over her prime. She's past her prime. So she sells her digital likeness to a company that will then use that to make films with. So she, the film version, the digital version of Robin Wright, the actress, will never age and can do anything they want her to do. And then we flash forward 20 years into the future and all bonkers bonkerness breaks loose it's so crazy (laughs) but it was it was kind of i've never seen anything like it that's definitely another one that's in my in my mental queue i would be remiss if i did not mention that i am thrilled that 2014 has been the triumphant return of gabby hoffman she is in wild she was in the fantastic amazon show transparent um she was an obvious child, and I love her. She is such a fascinating actress, fascinating person. She's in All I Want to Do, which is a movie I love, <laughs> and uh, she's in the really early Nora Ephron movie as a child. She's in Now and Then. I love Gabby Hoffman. Gabby, I'm so happy you're back. Please do more movies. I will watch all of them. Thank you. Love, Eleanor. <laughs> um never go away again all right i think we should we should wrap this up um our next episode that's going to come out after this is the part two of our movie marathon part one we released last episode uh so look out for that we're also going to release some of the stories that were told during pause the tape which is our live storytelling night that we started with the soundtrack series which is a music storytelling podcast hosted by the fabulous dana rossi and her podcast is great and you should definitely go check that out too so look out for some of those stories and if you are in the tri-state new york area we're going to have more events in 2015 what else do we have coming up? We will have Ksenia's mother on the show to talk about Guy Madden, the uh, Canadian experimental director. So uh, look out for that in January. And uh, yeah, happy new year, Kason. Thank you. You too. And thank you guys so much for listening. Um, you can check us out on Twitter and Facebook and Tumblr at Bonnie and Maud. And as always, we love your feedback. We love your suggestions on things to cover. Maud at gmail.com is the place to get in touch with us. And uh, what movies did you love this year? We, uh, you know, there's a lot that we didn't talk about that were great. Boyhood, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Grand Budapest Hotel. Tell us what you thought. Give us your top 10 list. Um, I don't make lists, but maybe you do. And uh, share it with us. So um, for Bonnie and Maud, the film podcast, I'm Eleanor Kagan. And I'm Xenia Yarosh.
and have a lovely New Year's. I'm gonna hide if she don't leave me alone. I'm gonna run away. Don't. Cause you can never go home anymore. Listen. Does this sound familiar? You wake up every morning, go to school every day, spend your nights on the corner, just passing time away.